Amen. 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 Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made, and uh, so I'm really happy and excited to work Sunday, and kimokereke. Uh, Amen. I am happy. I'm also happy to see you. I'm imagining what the day would have been like if I was just recording this thing from home. So when I see some of you, below I can't tell a little. Amen. I always see Neo. Whenever people ask her how old she is, she never says how old she. She, is, she always tells them how old she will be turning. So, so what's about her next birthday? <laughs> a- amen. amen. How old are you now? I'll be turning. How old are you now? Amen, Basil. So, because I Amen. Now she wants to be older. Uh, she's pushing for 21. I once are 21. R25 is downhill from there. He'll be applying brakes. Amen, <laughs> Amen. I'm, I'm turning 53 years today. Amen. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful to, to the Lord. Um, it's amazing, Hore. In these days, it's, it's such an honor to get to this age uh, or something we take on it. Amen. I am feeling very healthy and I'm feeling very, 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 very well. And uh, let me thank you, your well wishes. I can't respond to all of them. When the last person wishes me well, and then I will say thank you to all at that stage. Amen. Um, to Committee Amohai, uh, which is led by Dr. K and the elders, uh, including Lebaba Senteng, uh, to my wife, um, to all the mothers and fathers, to, to Sunday school and their teachers. Uh, I really thank you and I greet you all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to share with you a, a word from the Lord today and uh, where to I hope we don't we don't, we don't get technical glitches. I really want this message uh, to be recorded because I think it will also stand us in good stead for posterity. I'm not just preaching for today. I want to talk to you about something that hopefully you will go back to over and over and over again. Amen, Barcelona. So I really, really hope that you are praying with me and for me as I'm delivering this, this message. It's going to be relatively short, but I'm hoping for it will be establishing certain pegs on the ground. You will always go back there and, and reel your life against. Amen, Barnabas. Amen. Uh, established on, on the biblical truth. Amen. Uh, 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 Amen. 
you have prayed, Barnabas, a lot of prayers. Every Monday and many other days, you are praying, you are sending prayer requests. I wanted to suggest today, Hori, most of those prayers you already have answers to if you are able to deal and wrestle with the three questions that I'm going to raise today. Amen, Basabai. I, I am fascinated by the, the Jewish mind because the Jewish mind is the mind that God used to deliver the Bible and to deliver his will and message with. We must always understand the, the Jewish mind because it is, it is the most reflective of, of the interaction Limudim. Amen, Barnabas. So, Israel, Limina, the one who, who wrestled with God. It means the one who, who when he got the word, basically means he, he engaged fully with that word. Uh, what, what is your name? Amen. And then today Israel because you have you have you have wrestled with God. I want us to be kereke that wrestles with the word of God. Uh, and then I receive, I receive, I receive. That's fine to receive. But you must also spend some time to wrestle with it. And it's in the wrestle that the Lord blesses you. Remember, Jacob, in his wrestle with God, he was looking for a blessing. And then, he was blessed. Amen, Bazalan. So there is a blessing in wrestling with God. So the Jewish mind is always about wrestling with God. Amen. As a matter of fact, I didn't prepare this thing in my notes, but let me share with you this, this joke. It's a, it's a parable I love very much. Uh, it is shared by by, by one philosopher, Barakislav of Shizek. He says, there were two rabbis who were arguing about this scripture. Every time they argue about this scripture, what does this scripture mean? Every day they argue about it. For 20 years they argue about it. And then one day, God from heaven says, but hey, these guys have been arguing for 20 years, 240 months, arguing about this thing. Let me come down and explain to them what it means. So God comes down to say, hey, guys, let me explain to you what this scripture means. These two rabbis says, no, 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 no. Who, who are you to come from? Go, go back to heaven. Let us wrestle with this thing. We enjoy this thing. The more we talk about it, the more we, the more we grow. Amen, Barnabas. Now, I want us to wrestle with these four questions, three questions, but not just today. I want us to wrestle with these questions going forward, the former basis the former basis of our prayer life. Amen, Barnabas. Now, I'm going to coin this message today to say there are three tests you are going to write in your life a, 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 a test with only three questions, sorry. Your life, you are going to write a test in your life, and this test has three questions. Amen, Barnabas. The first question is, what's in your hand? The second question is, what's in your house? 
And the third question is, what is your occupation? Bupelobahao, ke exam, which has three questions. Question number Tomo, what do you have in your hand? Question number what do you have in your house? And the third and final question, what is your occupation? What is it that you do? If you wrestle with these three questions, amen, Banavitz, you are going to live a life of meaning and a life of a blessing. Now, because we are talking, I'm talking to you, but I'm also talking to people who are listening on radio, I'm not going to read all of the scriptures. Amen, Barnabas. I'm going to read just the first scripture, which we find in the book of Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. It's, it's very common, it's very popular, but I want to lift certain things uh, today and give us a departure point to this message today. Amen. So I'm reading from Genesis. My apologies, Exodus. Exodus chapter Verse 2. I really heard about Leonus. Exodus 4, verse 2. When I read, so the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. So God says, What is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? So here's the story, Mubazalan. We all know uh, Moshe, the story of, of Moses. Moshe gets born into a Hebrew family. He gets raised into an Egyptian family. He gets into trouble with the law. He runs away. He spends time with the Midianites. He marries into the Midianites. And God calls him to say, Emuna, I have an assignment for you. And this assignment is going to change the world. Of course, that's not how God put it, but Mudimu says, I've got an assignment for you. Now, the Bible says, and Moses is scared to say because he is going into an establishment that he knows to be powerful. He must go back it was the best and the biggest empire of its day. Now he must go there and tell the rulers that be to release the slaves. The slaves who've been working in that economy for 400 years. And then he expresses this concern to this voice that calls him. And then God says, well, the answer to your concern is what is it that you have in your head? Verse 1, Moses answered and said, but behold, 
they will not believe me, nor hearken my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto me. And the Lord said unto him, What is it that you have in your hand? Come on, so Mudimu says, All of your concerns at this particular time. All of your questions, all of your worries, all of your anxieties, all of your doubts, all of your needs are in your hand. So the question is, what is it that you have in your hand? Because what you have in your hand is the answer to all of your concern. Now, isn't it strange, Barcelona? Now, Mundimu does not give too many assurances, and he says, what, they, what have you got in your hand? Because the answer you're looking for, you already have it. You've prayed, Banaba Israel, they've prayed for 400 years. I've answered the prayer. The delivery now is in your hand. So he asks Moses, what is it that you have in your hand? Of course, to Moses, what he has in his hand is a rod. Nothing more. He can speak well. He, he doubts himself. I mean, he's, he's an exile. He's a nomad. He's just tending sheep. And God says, what do you have in your hand? Moses says, a rod. That's all I have. Now, what can you do with a rod? The only thing you can do with a rod, from Moses' perspective, is to tend sheep, nothing more. Amen, Barnabas. Now, Moses has been tending sheep for 40 years on that Medinian uh, 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 desert. All he knows a rod can do is to tend sheep. And God says, well, what you have in your hand is a delivery tool that will deliver people from bondage. What you have in your hand is a rod of miracles. What you have in your hand, that which you think is just a tool, to tend a sheep, what you have in your hand is a tool that can put fear into the hearts of the Egyptians. That which you have in your hand is the stuff that history is made of. What you have in your hands is what legends are actually made of. What you have in your hand can drive your doubt, your fears, your anxieties away. What you have in your hand. And I think God is raising the same question to us today. We have issues, we have concerns, we are challenged, we are pressed, we are challenged. We pray to God, oh God, please intervene. And God is saying today, but what do you have in your hand? I remain God. I remain supreme. I can do anything. I can do anything, anytime. Everything is under my control. But what have you got in your hand? Most of what you are concerned about is in your hand. Now, the hand here, Bazaloni, represents just human ability, just the, the, the human, yeah, because the Bible says, he blessed us. Because when you are a human being, you always already operate under the blessing of God to be fruitful, to multiply, and to replenish the earth. That God has already imparted in you, and he has blessed you to be able to do things to multiply, to grow. That blessing is already there. Amen, Barnabas. And he's asking, you know, you've got it in your hand. 
You've got the blessing. You've got the ability. What do you have in your hand to take your, 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 your life further? Amen, Barnabas. You've prayed. Mudimar, I've heard you. But you've got something in your hand. Amen, Barzalan. And this is not a sermon, Barzalan, for Munel. I'm talking about your capacity, that which is in your hand. The Bible says, what is it that you have in your hand? You'll be surprised what it can do when you put it in God's hand. You'll be surprised what is it that he can do. Now, Moses naturally thinks very little of that rod. According to him, what can he do? What do you have in your hand? The second question, Bazaloni, is what is it that you have in your house? Now, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, we hear the story I preached about it, about this woman who goes to the man of God, and she says, man of God, I have a problem. My husband, who was in the company of the prophet, died. My husband was a man of God like you. He died. My husband was revered. He died. Okay? Now, dying is not in itself a problem. People die by this. But here is a problem. She says, when he died, we were already owing. We had creditors. Recall what about and in those days, but tomorrow they are coming, we don't have any money to pay. And in those days, if you don't have any money to pay, you, you are the money. So Musaidi O has got two sons. When the creditors come, they're going to take these sons into slavery. So the sons are going to work for the creditor. So that's her problem. She presents this problem to the man of God. So the man of God says, what, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do? Next question says, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? Now, the Bible says, this lady says, well, I have nothing in my house. Just like Moses. He's got a rod, but this rod is nothing to him. This woman, what do you have in your house? She says, I have nothing except for a bottle of oil. I have nothing. Other than I have nothing. I have no money. I have no furniture. I, I, maybe even the house I'm staying in is rented. I have nothing except just a small little bottle of oil. What do you have in your house? Now, many of you think of nothing of what you have in your house. And let's be honest, when the Bible talks about a house, it's actually talking about your life, isn't it? Because Marana Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, he who hears these words and put them in practice is like a wise man who builds his house, basically who builds his life. Amen. So the question, what do you have in your house, also means, what do you have in your life? And this woman says, well, I have nothing. Just, just a little bit of oil. The Bible says, the man of God says, okay, go borrow jars and borrow as many jars as you can. We know the story. 
The Bible says this woman goes and borrows lots and lots of jars. Borrows them. Why did Adi Mabasala? Not buy, because she's got no money. We are going to kill her. Adi Mabasala jars are empty. And the Bible says, then the oil multiplied into those jars. And to the extent that they were, there was no more jars, the oil stopped. If she had doubled the amount of oil, it was going to continue to overflow. Because oil represents an anointing. And anointing overflows. Anointing never runs out, Barnabas. So it depends on the jars, on the availability of the jars. So the Bible says the oil went on and on and on until the last jar. And after filling the last jar, the Bible says the oil stopped. And then he went to the man of God and the man of God says, Good, take the, uh, the oil, go sell it and leave off what's left. It tells me, Basala, Horan, I've said it before. It tells me, it means they also did not have oil. They also had empty jars. Because once oil, she had so much to sell. And she sold and sold, got the money, paid back the creditors. And the Bible says she lived off what was left. What do you have in your house? Never say there is nothing in my house. Amen. Now this lady says I've got nothing. I'm asking the question to you today. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your life? You will be surprised that that thing that you think it means nothing. When it comes into contact with the blessing of God, when it comes into contact with the anointing of God, when it comes into contact with the will of God, it will take you so far that you'll be able to live off it. What do you have in your house? My challenge to you, Kohori, never underestimate what already is there. And when you are being challenged to give, when you are being challenged to offer when you are being challenged to do things, when you are being challenged to walk in the will of God, please respond with exactly what you have. It may not mean a lot to you. But with God and in the will of God, you will be surprised. And not, none of us have nothing, Basala. The Bible is teaching us here to say, if you say I've got nothing, wrong answer. Amen. There is something in the house. It may be desperate. It may be the only thing. But there is something in the house. There is something in your life. The Bible says in John chapter 6, Moranajeso looks up. The Bible says he looks up. He sees the crowd. And he sees their hunger. And he asks the question, when shall we find bread? And the disciple says, well, there is no money. Whatever money is, we have is so little, it's a joke. There is no food. The food that's here can barely feed Jesus and the disciples, never mind the crowd. But Moranajeso looked up to the crowd. 
So when he asked the question, when shall we find bread, it was not for the disciples. It was for the crowd. But what was available could not even feed the disciples. Read your Bible. And we know the story. The Bible says Moranajeso took five loaves, two fish, looked up, gave thanks, ordered people to sit down, told his disciples, go distribute. Amen, Barcelona. Now, thousands of people were fed. And the Bible says after that, there were 12 buckets full of food. 12 buckets. Now, when the Bible says 12 buckets, it's a very significant thing. You know what it means? It means what was left behind was much more complete than what was started with. Because the number 12 is a number of completion. It's not a number of perfection. Seven is a number of perfection. But 12 is a number of completion. It's a much more important cosmic number. Amen, Barcelona. Morana had 12 disciples. Uh, Israel had 12 uh, 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 nations. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 12, there's this woman comes with 12 stars. The number 12, you find it so many times in the Bible. It's an important number. The Bible says then there were 12 buckets. Full. Not 11, not 3, not 5, 12. To tell you, God is able to feed the, feed the entire nation of Israel. With what was left there, God could be able to fill the entire universe. Amen, Barcelona. Twelve is a cosmic number. Twelve is four times three. Three is a, is a number of, of God. Four is a number of the earth. Four times twelve. Four times three is twelve. Four, twelve is such an important number. When the Bible says after that, there were twelve of them. It all started with what the disciples thought was insignificant. What do you have in your house? Nothing is insignificant, Barcelona. Whatever God has placed in your life, nothing is insignificant. It is important to start. Start with what's there. You will be surprised what you're going to end up with. John chapter 6 teaches us what the disciples were thinking it means nothing, komatomo, ended up being much. What do you have in your house? Dr. K. Urato quoted Veserimo, for as long as the earth persists, there will be seed time and harvest time. Now, that is the law of the seed. It's got nothing to do with God. It's in the word of God. It's the truth that comes from the word of God. It's got nothing to do with you being a Christian. The Bible says, for as long as repeal, for as long as the earth persists, it will be governed by this law. of planting and harvesting. So what you see in the world today is simple. It's, it's seed and harvesting. When you see a person driving a car, it comes down to seed and harvesting. When you see a person buying a house, it comes down to seed and harvesting. Somebody's harvesting, somebody's, somebody's put a seed in the ground, somebody's harvesting. Anything that you see in this current dispensation is about seed time and harvest time. Now, a seed starts out small. I get a bit. A seed starts out small. 
And the Bible says it dies again in the ground. And when it comes out, it's many seeds. What do you have in your life? You have a seed, brother. And a seed can be many things. A seed can be cash. A seed can be your, your, your giftings. A seed can be an asset. It can be anything, brother. And that seed can be used in your life for your favor, for pretty much anything. You must just understand. For as long as this I go to more. More is seed and harvest. What do you have in your house? It's this time in your life where you must take it out and harvest. Amen, Bernard. Let me go to the third one. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your house? And the third one is what is your occupation? What is your occupation? Now, all these questions are in the Bible. The third question, Barcelona, is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 47, verse 3. Now, here's the story. Joseph is so successful. He's in charge of Egypt. He says himself, go tell my father. He says to his brothers, go tell my father that I am in charge of Egypt. He says, I am the Lord of Pharaoh's house. Go tell my father, your father, that I'm alive. And that I am in charge of the land of Egypt. Then he says to them, go get your father and all of your other brothers to come back. Now his brothers are shocked because they see him is alive. He comes back and he says to them, when you come back, Pharaoh is going to ask you, what is your occupation? And when he asks you that question, tell him, we are shepherds from birth. So I'm going to negotiate with Pharaoh to allow you back in Goshen because everywhere else, the only place where there's food is in Egypt, and I'm in charge of Egypt. You are my brothers. He tells them, don't worry, don't even be guilty. It is God who orchestrated this thing so that I end up here. So that when all of you are hungry, I am in charge, and I'll be able to look after you. So go tell your father to come back, and when you come back here, Pharaoh is going to ask you, what is your occupation? And I don't want you to fumble the answer. Joseph says, when he asks you that, here is what you must tell him. Tell him, Orena, Now, there's a very strategic reason for that. There's a very important geopolitical strategic reason why that answer. The first reason is that the Egyptians have no regard for shepherds. For the Egyptians, shepherds are despicable. Because the Egyptians, especially in Goshen, Goshen was a very fertile place, and it was a little bit far. So when you come and you say you're a shepherd, it's like, but that answer is very strategic. It means they're going to leave you alone 
because they have no regard for you. They don't think you are smart. And when they leave you alone, they're going to give you a piece of land. Now you can do what you want there. You can worship your own God. They're never going to bother you. That answer is very important. Don't come and say, I'm a blacksmith. Oh, then that's the wrong answer. Because then you get ready to Don't come and say, I'm a baker. Then you may work in the palace. No, no, no. And then when you work in the palace, you're going to complicate your life with the, the gods of Egypt. Just say you are a shepherd. They know shepherds to be but so they won't bother you. That's just Bible study, by the way. So they come there. Of course, they answered that uh, question. Well, no, we are just shepherds. So Pharaoh asked them, what's your occupation? The second question, which is irrelevant for our lesson today, Pharaoh asked Jacob, Israel, the father, how old are you? And Israel says, well, in my journey, I'm 130 years, but my life is so short compared to my ancestors. What is your occupation? Now, on Wednesday or Thursday, I will, I will give a, a, a confirmation. I want to go deeper into this thing. I, I, I really want to go deep into what it means to have a set occupation and why, why this question you have to answer it in your life why this question you must respond to before you die it's, it's so critical Amen, so I don't have time to do that today on Thursday or on Wednesday I'll give out a notice and I'll send out a note we might do a, a session just on this thing Amen, and I want our young people to pay attention our young people to pay attention. Because I, I want to challenge parents and, 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 and everybody. We, we have to be wise. The Bible says the sons of Isaac understood the times. They, they, they understood what's going on around. They were very, very strategic. They are able to read patterns and make decisions and advise the king what needs to be done next. For example, most of these jobs, to answer this question, what is your occupation today, will not exist in the next four or five years. Life as we understand it today, you're not going to go to school, get a degree, and lift it up and get a job. It's not going to happen anymore. In four or five years' time, we move into what we call the gig economy. It's not what the paper, it's what you can do. Because you are going to be tested. It doesn't matter which paper you have. People are going to say, well, can you do this thing? If you can't do it, we can ask someone from Pakistan. They'll do it. And it will pay them $5 or something like that. So we are going to go into a gig economy. You must be able to do something. Not just know something. Because knowledge is becoming useless. You know why? Because of Google. If I want to know something, I go to Google. In, instantly, I know it. I may not know how to do it, but I will know it. So nobody's going to pay you for what you know. Amen. Because they can access what you know just like this. Amen. 
You know how many people self-medicate today? What do they do? Go Google. Symptoms, symptoms. 50 articles about that. Then they go and buy medication. Knowledge is there, but knowledge is cheap now. Is the occupation. What is it that you can do? And this question was asked 4,000 years ago. What can you do? And Joseph says, say you are shepherds. Because nobody's doing shepherding in this country. It's a rare and a scare skill. I want to talk a little bit more with our young people. You can't look at me and try to follow my career. It's never going to happen again. That was then. Now you must be able to do something. You must be able to speak. You must be able to write. You must be able to code. You must be able to count. You must be able to work with your hands. You must be able to sing. You must be able to play musically. You must have an ability to do something. You must be able to cook. You, you must do something. What you know is not going to cut it. He asked the question here. Pharaoh is going to ask you, what's your occupation? He says, when you ask that, say, we are shepherds, and we've been shepherds from birth. Amen, Basal. So long story cut short, Pharaoh accepts the answer, and he says, well, place these people in this place called Goshen. Now, Goshen means the land that is cultivated. So it's a nice fertile land on the eastern side of the, of, 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 of the river. But it's as close as possible to the promised land. So there was also a prophetic matter in this whole answer. Pharaoh says, well, yeah, shepherds, yanda, tzamodulanda, which is exactly where they wanted to be in the first place. Then they can tend their sheep and gather everything without a worry. If you read Exodus chapter 1, it tells you why this answer was so important. Exodus chapter 1 says, Because they were on their own, own piece of land, doing their own thing, and God increased. And then Pharaoh started worrying. He's too far from them, he started worrying. Amen, Barnabas. What is your occupation? I want you to start thinking about this question. I'm going to help you to think it through even better. But for today, I want you to start. But what is it that you do? What is your occupation? Amen. I wanted to end up with something else here. So I, I came back from Cape Town, Labone. So I was sharing this, this story with a friend of mine. So as I parked, as I returned the car, go airport, uh, this colored fellow comes, he's a porter, this trolley set at him. So he says, uh, which airline are you, have you booked, sir? And I'm saying, well, Mango. So, oh, okay. It's an irrelevant question, but I was thinking, oh, where is this question coming from? But that was his idea of starting a conversation with me. So Mango says, okay, so what's your backyard? From the car, he doesn't even ask for permission. Put the bag there, he says, no, okay, I'm going to help you to go there. He starts selling. How many people are salespeople, Mokerege? How many of you are sales as an occupation? None of you. 
That's why we are badly. We need salespeople, Mokri. I'm joking. So this guy starts selling. He says to me, um, so why, uh, why are you here? Are you here on, on business or on pleasure? So it's one of the two questions. You can't not answer it. I get it. So I can tell her, okay, it's a clever question. So I tell him, no, no, I'm, yeah, well, I can't even say it's business. Yeah, but I needed to be here, you know. I, I'm here to help my daughter register for school. Oh, okay. Then the next question, oh, which school? Then the next question, how many kids do you have? Amen. Then we are talking. And he says, oh, you don't mind me asking these, these questions, say, but you know, I, 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 can I just ask more? Now part of me says, no, I don't, you can't ask more. But the other part says, let me learn from this guy. Let me hear your conversation here, guy. What is the point? So I answer his questions. What's the next question? He goes on, he goes on. And then he gets to a point where he sells because now he's like comfortable. Now he knows how many kids I have and what is it that I do. Of course, I don't give him all the details. And then he says to me, you know, we only started working last month. You know, with lockdown, everything was closed. You know, we, for four or five months, we were all at home, starving and everything like that. That's the sales. <laughs> that's, that's the sales. Amen, Barcelona. Now he talks, 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 and I realize, oh, no, now I'm beginning to understand, oh, okay, there's a sale here, I need to give this guy something. And he sold me, but he impressed me. I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind. He's an ordinary guy, he's a potter. I'm really, really impressed. He went into me, went into my family, and, you know, American, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I'm, I'm, I'm saying in my pocket, I have 130 in my, in my, po in my, in my pocket. Get sort of 100 rand, get sort of 20 rand, get sort of 10 rand. Now I'm debating in my head, what is this guy's worth, really? In my head. So I'm thinking, hey, I'm thinking, hey, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Amen. That's his occupation. Long story cut short, I gave him a hundred rand because I was thinking, this guy, either he was trained or he trained himself to say, this is my job. This is what I do. I come here, I must speak to these people. And because they don't get paid, I have something to take to the... Uh, Amen. And he was so honest to his craft. And I thought, that's interesting. I gave him a hundred rand, I needed to keep some other money for parking to pay Hekifichakwale, but I was so impressed, I should have given him everything. Amen, man. And as soon as I gave him the money, he shook my hands, tenth and red for the next guy. <laughs> he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a salesman. He's not a potter. But he's a salesman. He can sell anything. He can sell a computer. If he understands how it works, he can sell it. I was thoroughly impressed. What is your occupation? Now, this is not a spiritual question. Is it, it's, it's asking, what is it that you do now? What is it that your hands can do comfortably? What is it that you do? Now, the Egyptians think being a shepherd is lousy. The disciples felt what they had was not enough. 
the woman felt what she had in the house can't go far enough. Moses felt what he had in his hand was just a rod that he used in the desert. Now, we know that's not true. And I want to tell you, in your life, Loena, your hand is more than just a hand. That's what I'm doing. Your house and your life is more than just a house and a life. There's gems there. There's, there's important things there. Your occupation in Barcelona is not just an occupation. It comes from the Lord. It is here to serve a particular purpose. In conclusion, Barcelona, you can have things in your hand, in your heart, and your occupation, but you still need to know what's in your heart. Amen. For Moses, there was fear in his heart. And I want you to put the word of the Lord in your heart so that it puts faith where there's fear. David says, I've hidden thy word in my heart so that I may not sin against thee. David also says, give me a clean heart. You need a heart that is clean. You need a heart that has resilience. You need a heart that has faith. You need a heart that's flooded with hope. You need a heart that's flooded with love. And then what you have in your hand will go far. What you have in your house will go far. And what you have as an occupation will be catapulted to the skies. For as long as we are here, seed time and harvest time are the only measure. God bless you, Bazalone. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, you are God and, and Lord of our lives. We thank you for your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that in the name of Jesus, you establish us in your word. We pray that your word is an anchor that we reel our lives on. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you work on our hearts. I pray that you replace fear, anxiety, and doubt with faith, hope, and love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Father God, we want to take this time to pray for those among us, Heavenly Father, who are feeling sick and who are infirm. In the name of Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, we pray that your hand is upon them. We pray that you smile upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. We pray this time for those who suffered bereavement. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you cover them with your comfort. In Jesus' name. We want to spend our time and our attention to Amen. Thank, thank, thank you, Thank you. Thank you.